everybody and welcome back to the Crushing It in Construction podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Skinner, and in this episode, I'm talking to Kari Armitage. Kari is the Managing Director of Quarry and Mining, based out of New South Wales. Kari has a very interesting story. She started off in civil engineering as a cadet, working uh, for a civil engineering consulting firm. She then was asked by her father to come back and help run the family business, and I think she has some really unique insight into some of the challenges that taking over a family business presents and she's going to talk about them with us today so let's get on with the show g'day Kari thanks for coming on the podcast today I appreciate your time thanks for having me no worries so for everybody that's listening to this that uh, doesn't know you yet tell us who you are and and what it is you do I am now the managing director of quarry mining and construction equipment we are a manufacturing business in the primarily in the underground mining and tunneling industry based our head office in the Hunter Valley in, in near Newcastle there and we have 80 staff servicing yeah, the underground coal mines mainly and all sorts of various drilling contractors and the bits and pieces that they need. Cool. So how was it that you wound up in the position you're in and got into the, the quarry and, and mining sector? When I left school, I did civil engineering and I had a, a civil engineer cadetship. So I did that for 15 years and all the while my dad was working at quarry mines. He'd started the business when I was 11. And after some time, he was finding it difficult to keep the business at the forefront of Australian business and all of its demands. And he was asking me to come and help him run the business. At the time, I really didn't want to because I had a great job that I really loved and I was learning and I had all sorts of interesting projects. But and eventually he wore me down a bit and I had a look at it. And then I, the more I sort of looked at it, the more I realised that with a little bit of TLC, Corey Marty could potentially be something special and, and actually be mine. So what was it that actually finally twisted your arm and got you to, to take it on? Um, I love a challenge. I like to find mountains to climb. And when I first started looking at the business, it was always just mum and dad and a storeman out the back with a forklift and honestly a whole heap of mess in very unorganised piles. So there was the challenge there when it came to organisation of bringing it into the modern world. I mean, we're only talking 15 years ago and they would check their email once a week, you know, and they still filed everything in, in Marbic folders, <laughs> not on a server. And so I, I had historically done a lot of project management with my engineering and this was like a big live project that I could take on. So even though, even when I started, it, I always say it took me about 12 months to figure out just exactly what the business was meant to do. But I could see all of the things around structuring it and bringing it into the modern world that was going to be quite an exciting challenge. So from your civil engineering experience, was there something in particular that made you think that um, jumping into the business was a good idea? Yes, and that was probably ultimately the final decision-making, was that I could see that my experience from the consulting world could be brought into a world of manufacturing of widgets and bring a competitive advantage to that business. So quarry mining over the last 15 years, because I cut my teeth as a consulting engineer and, and learned how to problem solve alongside people and provide solutions. Now, even though I'm a, I'm a widget provider and maker, we do that with a consultative approach. And, and I think over the years that has been a real competitive advantage. And the people that work here now and have have been dragged along on my journey and that's the only way I knew how to operate. So that's ingrained in the culture here, that we, we help and we listen to what they want and we deliver that. We don't just bring widgets in. So does that result in a lot more 
bespoke made to order kinds of materials, does it? It does. Yeah. So a lot of the bespoke tailor made and even, even some of our, our products today that are very widespread throughout the mining industry now, but they came from improvements that were once considered custom because we were listening to the customers and just doing those little tweaks to see what they wanted. And then sometimes that's been lucky enough to solve an industry-wide problem. Yeah, and anything that you can bring to the table to differentiate when you're selling widgets is a is a massive plus. But so you and I were chatting a couple of weeks ago. You have a pretty unique insight into what it's like to actually take a business over from from a family member or from family members. Since you've taken the business over, what sort of progressions have the business gone through um, to actually get you to where you are today? Because I'm assuming the business had grown quite a bit since you took it on. You said you're now at 80 employees. Where where was it when yeah. you sort of stepped in? Yeah, when when I stepped in, it was just mum and dad and a, a storeman, so three people. And it was dad's baby, but, but mum did a lot of work and she really kept it afloat financially. So dad said to me when I when I finally decided to join, he said, this business needs three things. It needs a, a sales representative who has underground coal mine experience, has worked as a miner. We need to buy our own premises and stop renting. And we need to, our own CNC machining in-house. So he gave me three tasks, very big tasks, and he pretty much gave me nothing else because he was the old school of old school and his idea of you learning was that you taught yourself. And so I thought, well, I'll set about trying to achieve those <laughs> those three things and so throughout the last 15 years it has it's grown to 80 staff and 15 cnc machines and lots of robotic technology four office locations so newcastle Mackay, sydney and melbourne and yeah lots of manufacturing warehousing fabrication all of our manufacturing processes now even heat treatment are in-house so that that's just an extension of when he said to me we need our own cnc machine that vertical integration You've taken it and run with it. Yeah, it's been an incredible journey. I'm very lucky. So, so what were, were some of the hardest parts of actually taking over a family business? Because I, 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 as we said when we last spoke, I started working in a family business, and it, and and it brings on a whole different set of challenges for people when they're getting into the industry. So, what were some of the hardest parts of firstly working in a family business, and then eventually taking that family business over? Yeah, I'm sure you understand when I say that there are some Friday nights where you really don't want to go to mum and dad's for dinner that week. <laughs> Not without a few beers first. Yeah. I think the hardest thing for me was that I could never get dad to, well, first of all, I was a very disappointing son. Being that old school, you know, he, he would really liked a boy to take over his business. But probably the hardest thing was really that he never saw me as any ever, ever any older than 11. I was about 11 years old. In his mind, I was stuck at that, so I couldn't possibly have my own ideas and whole intelligence level. And so you, you really need to challenge his thinking. And then when you do that, he automatically thinks I'm accusing him of thinking too small, which I probably am because we're X amount of years down the track and business needs to be different and we need to be getting better all the time. And he's kind of done that and he's just, like you say, looking for a few beers now. And I'm in, you know, let's go, let's make an amazing mode. And we're just on different planets and he's not listening to me because, you know, and after all, the people that you're challenging when you're trying to take over a family business are those who taught you to walk or drive. It's very difficult to flip that around and say, but I've got all these ideas I want to teach you about effectively. They don't take yeah. it so well all the time. 
Yeah, they can sometimes just get get stuck in a certain way of doing business. And then when somebody young comes along that maybe has a bit more of an idea around, I remember social media was a big thing. They sometimes think, ah, it's a fad. It's not going to last. Let's let's not waste our time. And you're just coming at it from different perspectives. Um, So what do you think family businesses really struggle with when it comes to handing, you know, businesses over between generations? So from my point of view, it's the never being seen as an adult, as a leader yourself. You're always the subservient one. From from dad's point of view, it's letting go of what, what he started, what was his baby. You've got to try and... And for my mum, my mum was a nurse. She never ever wanted to work at quarry mining. So she got kind of forced into that because of the circumstances of the day. And she feels like I think she's given up her life for it. And then suddenly it has to be just handed over to me. Um, not that I ever had any problems working with mum. She was great. She was always proud of me. Dad was my, my struggle. But yeah, I, can, I mean, I can understand his, his point of view. But he, if he, it was also a little bit of a situation with him where you need to be careful what you wish for. He was the one asking me to come, come into the business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So was there a tipping point where you sort of thought to yourself, I'm making this my own? Yeah, I guess there was a couple of times where I did things to try and surprise and please him. Like I remember this one day I, so you have drill bits obviously, but we have that many different diameters of them. So I thought, right, I'm going to clean these all up. There's a great big mess of them. They were everywhere. And I and I spent this whole day and night, filthy dirty in the shed, putting them all in order. And I thought, I can't wait to show him. He's going to be so proud of me. And he must have walked past me 10 or 15 times that day and just watching me, didn't say anything. And then at the end of the day, I said, do you want to come and see what I've done? You know, and, he, and he picked one up and turned it upside down and said, you haven't put them in order. You've mixed them all up, actually, because they have different parts to them on. Upside, when they're upside down, there's different threads on them, which today is just the most obvious basic thing in the world. And I just, and so that was either going to make me or break me, you know. So I thought that was a pretty, pretty ordinary thing for him to do to me, but it just made me tougher, made me stronger. And I thought, right, this is mine now. I'm going to learn this and I'm going to show him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What have you seen or have you seen any examples around family businesses being hand over that, you know, have made it more smooth and successful? Yeah. It's interesting when you look on the outside into another business because you don't see all of the nitty gritty like you're, that you're drawing out of me now. You know? But there was a there was a business just local to us and um, the son took over the business and so his dad and my dad were friends although they were a bit younger so he's he'd be in his early 40s now and I and we still do business together myself and that guy I what uh, finally his dad retired so I watched them work together and seemed a bit tense at times but a bit, bit better than me and my dad and then finally one day his dad came in and said to me I'm retiring you know Dane's going to take over the business and I said oh, okay that's great you know he's such you say like it have such a good son he said yeah yeah but you know you could tell that it was tough for him to let go and then, I mean, since that day, that business has just gone absolutely brilliantly. Like it's got these new big premises and all this new machinery and just wins prestigious jobs. And and I, I just hope that his dad's proud and not feeling just usurped and bitter. So do you think do you think that comes down to just like a new lease of life or a fresh perspective? What do you, what do you think, you know, made that as you know, successful as, a, as you mentioned it has been? I think maybe it's exactly your point about when he found that top where it was really his. Yeah. It, it was right. He needed his dad to step right aside. And then when he finally did, yeah, it was just a, a great thing for that business. 
And and you can understand it from their point of view. It's something that they may have worked in or worked on for, for 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. And that's, that, that's fear of loss, isn't it? Because you're not quite sure on what, where they're coming from or what they want to pursue. It could all go down downhill, but it's, it's kind of trying to have that blind leap of faith, isn't it, that the, the next person coming in can be successful. It takes a certain kind of relationship to make that work. It's about trying to make sure well, that you, you still listen to them, yeah. but it's got to go both ways. You're exactly right. I had that vision all along that, that dad would sit in a corner of us and we'd, or, and we'd always be able to go in there and say, hey, you know, we've got this drilling issue or, or this problem. What should we do here? And, and he'd be this boffin in the corner that we could all just grab, out, grab knowledge from. But the special kind of relationship wasn't there. You're right. Mm. We need, we, it has to be that. And that's a real shame. And I just think that the whole thing could have been smoother and be better for the business if he had have been able to be that take on that role but it was just too much letting go too much change so do you think that there's certain things you know like the, you know, it takes two to tango do you think there's certain things that maybe the younger generation could do to try and foster that relationship so maybe if they feel threatened or they feel like it's just you know they don't really want to let go is there things that we could do to to make that transition easier yeah i i think we need to be really mindful of how respectful we need to be that. I remember once trying to give my dad a compliment about the business and I ended up insulting him. I said, but dad, you know, if you hadn't put the skeleton here, the bones here, I wouldn't have been able to put any meat on it. And I was trying to say was, I wouldn't have a business Hmm. as good as it is. Somebody had said, oh, wow, you've done such a great job. And, you know, I wasn't sitting too well with him. And I was trying to say, well, if dad hadn't have let me take over the bones of this business, I wouldn't be able to put any meat on it. And he really didn't like that comment. Hmm. But I was trying to be respectful and, and make the point that I wouldn't be here if he hadn't been there. Yeah. And and I think I need to somehow articulate that better in front of other people. But that sort of leads me to the thinking when you said to me, um, you know, what should you be watching out for? And one of the things that it was that I found myself taking – so when, as new people came into the business, because I couldn't do it on my own, so I looked for that underground miner and I looked for that CNC machinist and these people came into the business and Dad felt more and more threatened because they were helping me take over his business. Yeah. I ended up finding myself taking sides with the new staff against my dad. Mm. And um, if I could have my time again, I would have been way more aware of that going to happen it probably still would have happened because the business couldn't go forward with just me here I need this incredible team and I'm very lucky to have around me um but yeah at the same time here you are taking sides with someone you've known for five minutes because they've got a really cool idea and your dad no matter how cool it was would not accept it because it wasn't his idea so would you say one of the one of the major pitfalls is just around trying to be extremely aware of how you're treating that person as you as you're bringing stuff in and how you're you know interacting towards the 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 older generation or the family members that are still in the business. Yeah, and also it's hard because as you said, I'm working my butt off and sprinting all day, and he's plodding along with his marathon. So I'm feeling like I'm working ten times harder than him, and yeah. you know I, I'm due some kudos <laughs> from him. It's not coming. Yeah. And I think, I think that as somebody going into a family business, you all feel like you always feel like you have to work 10 times harder to prove that you're worth the spot as such. Yeah. And for some crazy reason, I'm wired that way. 
it's as I see it as a challenge and I want to work 10 times harder to prove I can do it. Yeah. So what do you think some of the, you know, that people should be looking out for, um, you know, when they're trying to prepare a business ready to get handed over from, say, maybe the older generation's perspective? Uh, I think that you really need to prepare yourself that their ideas will be a real shake up to yours. And I, and I think that probably my dad's generation to me was a bigger gap than say his dad to him because we've had so much technology in that time and the way we do things. And it even bore, like my dad couldn't believe that I was bringing up WHS stuff. Oh, well, don't worry about that. It's ridiculous. This doesn't apply to us here in the, in the backyard in Newcastle. And, you know, Dad, you've got to look after people. We need to buy them some steel cap boots or some eye protection. No, no, will be right. So, you know, I think he needed to readjust his thinking. So whatever that might be for me, for say, say if my kids were to want to take over quarry mining one day, it's going to be a different set of things. It won't be WHS laws, but whatever it might be. They'll be telling you that you need to get warehousing in the metaverse. They will. Absolutely they will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'll be like, what is that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, maybe, maybe someone needs to develop a course for <laughs> succession planning and changing yeah. your mindset. To... Yeah. I think it's hard because so much of it, you know, you, you've got all the, the operational stuff like the books, processes, you know, the banking side of things. But then I think the, the biggest hurdle is that, you know, for, for the people on their way out, the emotional part of, of letting go of their baby and trusting that who they're letting go of it to, yeah. that it's going to be safe. And then you've also got the emotional aspect of the person coming in that's trying to prove themselves. So there's just, it, there's so much there. Yeah. And I don't ever think it's probably going to be simple. No. But I think what I've learned from listening to you is that it's just everybody has to be super aware, self-aware of how they're treating the other person and just trying to make sure communication is as good as humanly possible, I guess. And I think that would help to take the emotion out of it a little bit. There's always going to be that emotion there. But if you can be just that little bit prepared to try and think about how they feel, you know, hopefully that doesn't make it so emotional and then explosive because you've at least turned your mind or or applied some empathy to one another. So what are you um, most proud of since you've taken the business over? Like you said, it's gone from three people to 80 people and as a whole is something you should be proud of. But but is there any one thing that you've done since you've taken the business over that you think, yep, I've done that? There's probably two things. Um, I'm I'm super proud of our reputation in the marketplace. We, We really do get some good feedback about our ability to react and look after our customers. And that is a real cultural thing here. Like we call it good for the logo. So the minute that somebody in our, not even just our front team that, that are at the coalface on, on sites, not just them, although they're the most important, but the, the backup team to them, if they're not good for the logo and doing everything in the best interest of that logo, then they don't stay long. And so that's a, that's afforded us this, this great reputation out there. So it's a, it's a very rare thing that I'd hear as be bagged out, for want of a better term there, sorry. <laughs> Even if something goes wrong for us out there with a product or something or a delivery, whatever it might be, we we fix it right away. So sometimes those things have turned around to have us actually even more more liked by a customer because we've gone and we've bent over backwards and jumped through every hoop to fix it immediately. That's the first thing I'm proud of. The second thing is I'm really proud of the the apprentices and the apprenticeships that I've been in a lucky enough position to be able to create. So we've got eight apprentices here now. And if you had said to me 10 years ago, you'd be giving eight apprentices a job one day, I think you're crazy. But I have a real passion for blue collar skills. And I think that in the last 
15, 20 years in Australia, they've been, you know, not nurtured and, and potentially even disregarded. And, and we need to bring them back. And, you know, without manufacturing and making things and respecting the, the skills of those trades, boilermakers, machinists, fitters, all those guys, we don't have anything. We don't even have accountants or jobs for lawyers or HR. We need to make stuff. And I, I just think that those skills haven't been historically, well, recently anyway, respected. And, you know, I'd go so far to say that they're brilliant. You watch those craftsmen work down there and weld things up and you think, wow. And, and you know, let's not underrate them. So I create those jobs and I go out of my way to try and lift their skills by putting university qualified engineers down on the floor with boilermakers or machinists and getting them to work together and, and bridge the gap between the high level university boffin skills where they can do finite element analysis and to someone on the floor who can put a pump that's in 35 pieces back together. And I think them working together is, is brilliant. And I love that I'm in a position to be able to give those opportunities to people. Yeah, I think fostering and promoting the, the blue-collar trades, whether it's civil construction, boilermaking, any of that stuff is extremely important because, like you said, without them, uh, a lot of things don't exist. Um, and I think partly, in, in, in my opinion, some of it's just because in school we are getting force-fed this idea that uni is the place you need to go to be successful. Yeah, that's just wrong. Yep. I, I, I agree. And I wasn't bright enough to go to uni anyway, so it was a bit of a cop-out for me, but... It, it worked out well. You can go to the mines, you can you can earn really good money, you haven't got the hex debt, any of that stuff. And I think promoting and promoting those jobs to the workforce that could potentially, you know, go into those blue collar jobs has largely been stopped because they're too busy pushing university. Yeah. And to me, it's just forgotten about a whole group of people that are better suited to working with their hands and, and getting stuck in, in yeah. that way. Yeah. So... Is there anything that I haven't asked you um, that you think would benefit the audience here while we've been chatting? Oh, not really. I mean, I've really enjoyed our chat and talking along. I've done I've done talks before where I've told my story because people have identified a bit of a uniqueness about it. But it's um, really interesting to delve deeper into that succession planning piece with you, and especially as you have some good experience with it yourself. So I, I suppose my point is... Find someone you can talk to who has had some similar experience, but he's outside your immediate team, your immediate business. And I, I really think you'd get a lot out of that. I have a couple of friends outside of here that run other businesses. And yeah, I'll often just say, I really need a coffee with you. Might only be every six months, but it's good for the soul. Yeah. Like I know everybody in this industry, it's fairly demanding if you're in construction or you're in any of these sorts of things. You're doing a fair few hours at work. How do you unwind and switch off from the business. I know I was talking to some other people today and they just say like, I just need to find ways of getting away from the business and just recharging. How do you do that? Usually on a bike. So I love triathlon, but I especially love cycling. And if I really need to not think about it, I get on my mountain bike because I'm not skilled enough to think about anything else about other than how I'm not going to break my neck. <laughs> <laughs> but I love being fit. And so fitness is super important to me and it's my escape. So I say to people, hills are my yoga. Go and climb up a hill on a bike, I'm in a happy place. <laughs> so you just say generally just, just getting on, on a bike and, and getting your fitness in helps you escape. I think there's a lot to be said for just getting fit in general just to, oh, yeah. to help mental 
clarity and all that sort of stuff. I always like to, you know, some of these conversations can get quite in-depth about the industry and all that sort of stuff. So I always like to end on a bit more of a personal note to try and lighten things up. But what is what is a weird or interesting thing about you that most people probably don't know? Well, my outside of work, triathlon is my passion and my, my way to unwind and stay fit. And the people who I do triathlon with would know this about me, but most other people wouldn't. And as much as I love triathlon, I'm not a very great swimmer, strong enough, but not good. I love bike riding and not much of a runner. But if there was a triathlon where I could swim underwater for a long distance and ride only up hills, I'd go very well. <laughs> can you hold so, your breath for a long time? I can. I can swim about 40 metres underwater. Oh, wow. And I can outclimb most of them on the bike. I mean, I'm, I'm smaller, so I never get them on the downhills. But yeah, that's my little thing, I guess. <laughs> Power to weight ratio up, it all works in your favour. I'm never going to win a triathlon on those underwater uphill climbing skills, but yeah. Yeah, well, that's cool. <laughs> this has been good. I've really enjoyed um, speaking with you. How can listeners get in touch with you and just learn more about the business if they want to learn more about Corey and Mining? Uh, they can contact me directly from our website, which is, I'm hoping, going under a bit of construction in the next couple of weeks. I've been trying to do a revamp. So they can, yeah, they can get in touch with me straight from the website or, or just on LinkedIn or our Quarry Mining Facebook page, which I'm very proud of because... We do a lot with our local communities. I'm a big believer that if small businesses give a little bit back, we would have to, to charities and communities events. You know, we just have better places to live and work in. So we put a lot of our community type stuff on our Facebook social media. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks very much for your time. Thank have you. a good rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Crushing It in Construction podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player and it would be greatly appreciated if you could leave us a five-star review. If you'd like to learn more about employer branding and recruitment marketing strategy, feel free to visit our website at moonshotmedia.com.au or reach out to me directly at jaskinner at moonshotmedia.com.au. Thanks again for listening and I'll speak to you in the next episode of Crushing It in Construction.